Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast by Locksmiths for Locksmiths. This is season one, episode two, and today's topic is Locksport. Today, we will be discussing Locksport and its effect on the lock industry, how Locksport inspires locksmith recruitment, and how locksporters turn locksmiths feel about it all. I'm Tyler J. Thomas, and joining me today, the lovely Jeff Moss and handsome Tim Coleman. This is The Three Tumblers. We're all unique in that we got started in locksport and then ultimately became locksmiths. I started in 2005 or six when the only thing available was quote unquote MIT lockpicking manual and then some other stuff like the anarchist cookbook. But things have changed quite a bit from then until now. You've got YouTube, which I guess technically came out in what, 03, 05, something like that. You've got tons of, well, you've got books on the subject now, actual published books, hard books. You've got Twitter, you've got communities, forums, discords, subreddits. It's, it's exploded. Jeff, when did you get started? 2008 or so in college, probably in the middle of my college career. Any, what drew you to it? I don't know. I, I can't pinpoint it. I mean, besides the fact that I worked at a hardware store, learned how to cut keys and basic rekeying, worked on my college campus. So I, you know, knew a tiny bit about master keying. But somehow I discovered lockpicking videos on YouTube, ordered some stuff for a basic cheap set of picks, bought a couple shitty padlocks at Walmart, and pretty quickly discovered that I was better at taking them apart and fixing them than picking them, which is still true really got into collecting more than the actual lock sport picking part of it. Teaching people how things work, not as much because uh, I've never been a very good picker, but I can make keys for a lot of things. I've never been good either. I'm still not good. Tim, when did you get started? I got started when I was 12. We had had the internet for you know a year or two. At that point, I discovered like you said, the MIT lock picking guide online. And it was just a giant text file. And I read it, decided to make my own tools. I had my dad actually help me because he had some experience with the locks, having worked as maintenance for the college he went to. That didn't work out. And then I kind of forgot about it. I don't know, 12 years. And then I was listening to a book series. And the main protagonist could, quote unquote, pick any lock that there was. I said, hey, that might be a skill that I need as a cop. And so I went online looking to buy a lockpick kit, found one. It was 40 bucks. I'm not going to spend that much money on something unless if I know that it is good. And so I searched for reviews of it. That's how I found YouTube videos with a review of that set. And then I clicked on the channel because I didn't know if the guy was just doing a review of that one particular thing or not. And turns out the entire channel was about lockpicking. You know, you bring up a good point, and I don't want to sound like an old head here. I guess I kind of am. 
But back in the day, really all we had were those text files and that MIT guide, you know, it it said, you know, an excellent source material for tension wrenches were to go out and look for street bristles on the street from the street sweepers. And I thought, oh, okay, let me just go walk down the street. Now, that doesn't happen in suburban Atlanta. You got to be deep in a city or something like that. But I mean, there was there was really nothing to learn beyond just a few text files in some communities, Usenet groups, stuff like that. But we didn't have videos. We didn't have books. I mean, there were books, but they were like Jolly Roger books from the same sites that teach you how to make homemade alcohol and grow (laughs) clandestine marijuana, stuff like that. And that was also the only sites you could get picks back in the day. You, you, you know, the same people that were selling tasers and batons and brass knuckles and butterfly knives were the ones that were selling the, the Southern kits and stuff like that. And that was really only the only thing you had back then, Southern Ordnance or whatever they're called. And occasionally you could find an HPC one on there. They had some of the Peterson, what was the tubular TK1, the tubular pick, that gnarly looking thing, that on there. But they didn't have all these new companies and homemade stuff. And so it was, it was a crazy time. In a roundabout way, what I'm saying is, folks, now you got it good. Because we had, we had to learn the hard way back then. <laughs> and I guess that kind of that's kind of my point or my thought on the subject is that when I got started, it was kind of in the beginning of it, in the formidable days. And it was very user-friendly, community-oriented, where we all shared ideas and topics. I mean, for a while, there was the NDE magazine, which was, a, well, I won't say I'm included. I wrote some for it, but it, it was people just getting together, putting together a magazine, discussing things they found. There were tons of white papers. But nowadays, if you go on YouTube, there's some good ones, but almost everything, at least the big ones, just picking locks and showing them. And I have no idea why anybody would watch somebody pick a lock to each their own. But it's it's kind of produced these uh, quote unquote lock stars or rock stars. And it's it's gotten ridiculously silly. And I thought about naming names. And we talked about this earlier this week, but I'm not going to because I don't want to get sued. But uh, you, you know who I'm talking about. And, and the people that aren't really demonstrating or innovating anything, just going on and, and showing kind of what Jeff and I have always called parlor tricks. You know, they learn something, some hand, you know, under the door tool, the shrum tool, you know, from Carolina Roller, which Tim, you need to share that story before we end. He's like uh, five minutes up the street from me, the inventor. Yeah. And the manufacturer is three minutes up the street from me. So the person touting it uh, really didn't have uh, much to do with its development, eh? But yeah, it's 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 kind of gotten a cult of personality about it. That it's absurd and it's ridiculous. I mean, we're picking locks for fun, and some of us have made careers and money out of it. But get real, <laughs> Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I, I the people that I know locally and stuff, and you know, we teach people how to do it at some of like the local hacker face type things, and it's more just for knowledge of how things work. They don't, they don't understand doors. They don't know fire codes. They don't know any of that kind of stuff. Master keying, it, it's one part of a very large segment of an industry. Yeah, but when did, yeah, but I, I, when did it become a, a freaking personality for some people, an identity? It's, it's I absurd. I agree. When Probably when they figured out that they could make money on it and, and speak about things that other people think they're an expert on. Yeah, well, they maybe they maybe want to seem more important than they really are. But again, 
if you're not innovating or you're not improving upon something, I, I, it's just crazy to me that some people would look upon those as an authority figure when really all they're doing is just parroting what they've seen or learned before. I mean, you know me, you've seen the technical white papers that I've written. Yeah. And shared just with other locksmiths. I, I, I would never release some of that shit. And I know sub- security through obscurity and all that just to boost my name. Right. You're not saying with a little, little yeah. community. Right. You're not saying, oh my God, this, nobody knew that this keyway existed. Well, actually, we all did. It's just not published. And you're, I, you're I, also I, not, you're also not advocating for hinge pin removal as a completely easy you know, covert entry access. Right. Carrying a, a cord fleet cop car key with me on a daily basis. The agency I work for bought like two that were fleet keyed and that was it. Do I know that th- that would probably work most of the cars in this area? Yes. Do I have any reason to carry one? No. Yeah, why do why why do people carry those common use keys if not to do something nefarious? Because I mean, locksmiths, I can understand. Right, I use a C four fifteen A key. I mean, the only reason I would carry one of those is somebody comes in and hey, I need a CH seven fifty one key cut by code or whatever. I'm like, well, hey, I can just copy this one. I don't have to look up the code. There, there's no non nefarious reason to carry a Ford fleet vehicle key unless you're. And you remember the the talk about the the heavy equipment keys where somebody would yeah. would you know oh I don't sell those to, those aren't for customers for so that's if I need to move something that's in my way. You might want to uh, expand on that or at least give the backstory because I don't think anybody knows what we're talking about. You know, somebody was saying that they carry a ring of keto-like construction equipment keys, and if there's a piece of equipment that's in the way of them trying to do their work, they'll just move it because they have the key. For yeah, that brings that, that reminds me too. This whole some people have made a living off of this physical security penetration testing shit, which is, is such horseshit because there's been actual studies on this. Uh, UNC Charlotte, I think Western Kentucky. I wrote an article about it years ago in the National Locksmith. By and large, criminals of any class, residential, commercial, high end, they're not using professional tools for burglary. You know, it's like we keep, to what Jeff was saying, we keep a ring of common century safe keys in our shop. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to hide it. We keep a ring of them because nine times out of 10, that will let us in the customer century safe. and Or the DTEX keys. Right. Yes, DTEX keys. Also. That's for, yeah, that's for our convenience. When somebody orders DTEX keys because they lost them at the store, again, mm. I don't have to look it up. I just go in my in my ring and copy them and have a nice day. Exactly. Or what about a common construction or core keys? Jeff and I have like, what is it now? Like a seven or eight page list? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And Can I, you imagine I mean, if, if some of these lock stars got a hold of that and were wanting to like sell a set or sell a copy of the PDF to the list? I mean, you can't are, see it. What are you talking about? They already sell the keys. People are, yeah. Oh, do they? You can find the, the, some of those common construction keys online. I mean, on the builder, if they don't switch them out, it's not. Well, I added uh, one construction core bidding to that list. I think, Jeff, I sent it to you. Mm-hmm. Or, or if I haven't, I need to as soon as yeah. I get back to the shop Monday. Somebody uh, brought in some Falcon Black cores yesterday and re- kept them on the same control key, but rekeyed them. They don't have a system. It's like two doors or something. But I mean, there's so much shit that we all know and do and use to help, whether it's intellectual or a physical tool. 
that if we wanted to be jerk off and, and make a name and money beyond what we do, we could really give rock stars, lock stars a run for their money because what they're showing is like basic level bullshit. So you're saying I could go to one of the locksmith conventions and register using an alias and not use to use my real name, even though most will know who I am. Yeah, you can go by the Moss Man. I wouldn't be able to figure out who you are from that. You know, I think that the three of us, if we did not use our powers for good, the three of us could go out in the world, or at least here in the U.S., and kick ass a thousand times more than they did in the movie Sneakers, where they had a cast of like eight doing the same thing that we could. (laughs) Oh, there's shit. Yeah, there's it it would the shit that Jeff and I have done with just Medico behind the scenes. I don't want to name it. Jeff, don't name it either, but there wouldn't be a Medico safe. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. but we use we use that to help us with our jobs we're not trying to make a name or money or ego stroke from it but yeah and it's not just medica i mean there's it's a lot of stuff we do that. it's just here's all this information from 27 different places i'm get that i'm gonna put into one place i can't do anything with it and i'm i the only thing yeah, you can do a little bit with it yeah but you can't i can't order any of this stuff so only thing that it tells me is if I find a cylinder A and a key B, I might be able to have a key that fits after I take it apart and repin it. For my- well, I mean, no. we've, re- we've re- reverse engineered some of the, we could alter certain blanks as is to get them to work. Right. I mean, there's yeah. like people, people who say, oh, you can make a control blank for a Schlage LFIC. By just modifying an SC4 blank. Well, duh. Who the hell yeah. is going to take the time to do that? You know, we'll or who when, has the knowledge? Right. But we've and done. the tools yeah. because tools are expensive. It, machines are expensive. Right. But it's still, I mean, if you need one control blank, it's quicker to do that than to wait two days for the blank. Exactly. You have a job and you, yeah, it doesn't work the best, but you, you're able to pop the cores in and out and you move on with the next job. You know, for the shop keys or whatever, you wouldn't give necessarily give it to the customer because they probably break it back to what i was saying and i know we're i feel like we're off but you know when i got into this i never when i talked to other locksmiths before even getting it i never told them that i picked lock i just said i collect them because that basically was true you know i need key blanks i want to make working keys for these locks whatever keying and pinning is only part of what you need to know so like we were saying earlier the people that post on ready oh i've picked locks so i want to be a locksmith well that's unless you are doing lockouts all day which doesn't isn't really feasible i mean i could go two or three days in the shop without having to pick anything because i'm selling hardware i'm doing systems i'm programming car keys i'm copying hundreds of keys at a time you know whatever the Picking is only a small part of it. And knowing things like I was saying earlier, I didn't know about handing. You know, I didn't have any idea about, you know, fire codes or things like that. Beyond, you know, when you're working at the hardware store, you're selling deadbolts for somebody's house and that's about it. You don't know anything about panic hardware or uh, hinges or closers or, or so there's so much more, you know, and I'm not even talking, that's not even touching the electronic stuff. You know, store yeah, front. I think you just took my whole block away from me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think you were. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll circle back and, and 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 wrap it up with just basically saying, you know, it, it's a free country. Do what you want. But I, I just don't understand. I, some I'd of these like bags. a final word, if I could. Um, for me? Or you? No, no, for me. Oh, OK. Uh, just, just before you wrap it up. I think that there are a lot of log sporters out there who who are really great. They're collectors. 
they're hobbyists, they're pickers. They do it because it's a cool little thing to do sitting in front of the television. I think that some, and it's a very minor percentage, quote unquote, log sport people out there on the internet are taking advantage of the tiny bit of knowledge that they have and presenting it as some new discovery. Whereas locksmiths have known about this for decades. And I think that anybody listening to this podcast or who watches any of our videos should take those videos with a grain of salt. You know, just know that popping the the pin out of a hinge is not going to work 99.9% of the time. I I, I texted not commercial. Guys, no, no. I texted you guys what? What was it? Tuesday or Wednesday this past week with the pile of drill bits that I had ruined drilling out screws from hinges. because they were rusted, you're not getting in that way. So for consumers out there, please just know that us locksmiths, we know, we know and appreciate lock sporters and people who, who are the hobbyists and do it because it's a puzzle. And we also recognize the people who try to go out there and get fame and fortune and glory under the lock sport name. That's all. Right. And and I know there are, I can hand a very padlock that hasn't been opened in 30 years to, uh, there's some people I know, give them an hour or two, he'll have the thing open. And it's, we typically don't have the time to do that. We have other ways, you know, we could take it apart to, you know, you know, I think the leashes and stuff like that. I watch videos from a lot of other people in the industry and not, there's a better way to get into a car and you can make a key at the same time. Go for it. That part isn't important because the keys are sitting on the shelf, on the on the seat or whatever, and you just need to get in, then there's other ways to do that. The whole, I would say just the showmanship type part of it, it didn't used to be like that. You know, the guys that I started working, you know, you know, the original people that I watched and did picking and stuff, it wasn't about what I can do. It's just, sh- it's showing and, and educating other people. I mean, the, one of the best people that I watched do picking never talked in any of his videos. And to me, that's sort of like, it's not about me. I shouldn't say it's not about the person doing it. It's the skill that they have, but you're focusing on the lock and what they're, you know, not, you know, them bullshitting and saying how cool they are. I guess letting their skills speak for themselves in a way. Like I have coworker, you know, he may not be able to pick it, but if that thing's locked, he'll impression it open in 10 minutes, stuff like that. Exactly. I mean, like I, I suck at impressioning. I'm not going to lie. I suck at it. And, and I have over all these years, even with just like simple desk locks, picking is definitely a skill, but you, you shouldn't present it as though you're the first to discover it or that because you have picked this one lock that is mounted in a vice on your desk that you can sit at in a comfy chair inside your house with no time constraints you shouldn't present yourself as though you're an expert on locks but if i pour a glass of bourbon doesn't that make it all right well if you pour a glass of bourbon and then pass it to me Listen yes, here. That does make it okay. What a chuckle fuck. Okay, that'll end that segment. Thank you. On to the next. All right, Jeff, it's your turn. What are your thoughts on lock sport? I mean, I think on the whole, it it's good. You know, it got me more involved with more people that knew what they were doing better than me, you know, better pickers or better at bypassing. And, you know, eventually I learned, you know, 
might be something that I could do as a career. You know, I got interested in how the cylinders and how different hardware worked. And doing IT, I just didn't like where I worked, even though it was sort of in the same industry. And getting to know Tyler and talking to a lot of other people in the industry took a chance that, you know, the shop that had been around a long time that might be looking for somebody with the skills that I had in, in the computer world and the mechanical background and wanting to learn more about hardware and installation and, and all that stuff. That was five and a half years ago. So it's worked out pretty well. Damn, it's been that long? Yeah. October was, I remember, October was five years. So I remember talking at you when you worked at the old place. We're getting old. Not a journey for everyone. You know, if you're starting right out of school versus going to college, making more money, doing something else like I did and like the other guy who I work with now who's 25, if you were starting out of college and there was more of a clear path to get into the field, unless you're willing to start at 10 bucks an hour, which people aren't when they're out of high school for six or eight years. You know, that, you know, if you knew nothing and just graduated high school, you could learn a lot by working in the shop and sweeping the floors and helping customers. And, you know, it, it takes time to get into, you know, helping people unassisted and and knowing part numbers and knowing functions. And like I said, I didn't know about handing or different functions of locks or, you know, classroom functions, storeroom, all that kind of stuff. You know, I just thought, well, I know some, you know, I know about cylinders. I know how to pin things up. And so I didn't have to get taught how to use a key machine or identify key blanks because I had been doing that kind of stuff working at the hardware store. But there's a lot more that you don't even realize. So I would say that if you are thinking about doing, you don't know as much as you think you know. It's good to have a foundation, though, going into it as opposed to doing nothing at all. For sure. I, I don't think... I don't think it's like golf where you can necessarily develop a bad habit or tendency and then it has to be retrained. I mean, you can build upon what you already know. Right. If you know how to use basic hand tools, measuring, looking at prints, following instruction manuals and things like that. I mean, most of it is not rocket science. Some of the electronic stuff, networking and all of that, you know, safes. I mean, cars is a whole different world, but you have a general knowledge or to, to gain a general knowledge. Being able to get your hands dirty, things like that. I think I heard it best once with the guy that taught me a lot of what I know with, with regards to pay and, and making a, a living out of it. He said, I'll never be a rich man, but I'll never have to worry about feeding myself. And I think we're all, all three of us are fortunate that we are working in established companies. I think it would be a lot harder to start. And I thought at one point, maybe I'll just take some money that I saved and try to start my own locksmithing business. And I'm glad I didn't do that because five years in working at a shop, you realize what you don't know. And if I were to have started on my own, I don't think that that would have, you know, because there's so much stuff out there that you've never seen before. I have the utmost respect for people that start on their own doing this because I couldn't even fathom doing it. It is so incredibly hard and they've pulled it off and they're successful. I mean, that that's incredible. I can't imagine starting from ground zero. Exactly. You know, I was considering when I first got my locksmith license because I didn't know where I was going to go at that point, basically because there was three months or two months, whatever, between getting my license and starting full time as a locksmith. I didn't know how things in my life were going to go. I had considered starting my own little side business, going out and doing like little residential stuff. And I am so glad that I didn't because knowing what I know now and realizing what I didn't know then, it would have been a disaster. And I probably would have quit and hung up my logsmith hat and just said, you know what, 
the hell with this. Jeff, also, you 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 took away another third of my block. You're good. So we're gonna wrap this up real quick then. You can edit it and just say everything that you just said was bullshit. Thank you. <laughs> Jeff, anything else, Tim? I, I would say to Jeff's point, log sport, if you are if you are in an established shop and you're trying to recruit new people, look to Logsport because that would give you a base of some of people who are passionate. Even though a hobbyist Logsport might say that the only skill they have is being able to pick locks, well, at least they understand how a lock cylinder works. You can expand upon that. So look at somebody who's passionate for what it is you're doing and willing to learn. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I've heard that described with boxers and MMA fighters is that you can teach the technique. What makes somebody successful is the drive, determination, and the heart to be perfect and be the best at it. I, I agree. You can only teach them the, the, the hand candy. You got to teach them the head candy. That, that's the big thing. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and wrap things up. Okay, we're going to wrap it up, but we're going to give Tim the final word. It's his time to impart wisdom on the subject. Unfortunately, we've stolen a lot of his talking points because as the saying goes, great minds think alike. So Tim, salvage what you can. All right. So when when I started as a locksmith a year and a half ago, a well-established shop, as we've talked about, and having come from a logsport background, as we've talked about, I thought that I would at least have somewhat of an advantage being able to take apart basic locks, you know, lock sets and cylinders and such. I didn't know anything because when you get out there in the real world, it's not about the actual lock. It's about the door. As I tell customers, we shouldn't be called locksmiths. If you're in the field, you should be called a doorsmith because most of the time the problems are with the door. And when a customer calls and says, hey, I think I need my lock changed on my front door because it's really hard to turn the key on the outside and the thing on the inside, I ask them, please open the door and turn the thumb turn, the inside part, and does that work smoothly? And when they say, yes, it does, I say, okay, the issue is probably not with the lock itself. It's with the door frame. And yes, we can help you. And we go out there and we adjust the strike. We put a longer screw in the hinge or whatever it needs to adjust it, but we make it right. So instead of locksmithing, you know, don't think of locksmithing as being able to pick a lock, take it apart, repin it, master key it, whatever. Think of it as the whole door. If it opens and shuts, takes a key or a code, we work on it. We're locksmiths. Jeff, what do you think about this? Absolutely. And that's what I, that's a lot of the stuff that I didn't know. And I will certainly admit being able to service the whole opening, very important hinges, closers, push plates, kick plates, you know, whatever. If somebody wants to put a kick down doorstop on a fire exit, you should have the knowledge to tell them that you probably can't do that. Double cylinder deadbolts in houses that are rentals and stuff like you should be able to advise your customer that that's probably not allowed. You know, you could have the best lock in the world on a hollow wood door you know that a stiff breeze could blow it open storefronts you know we don't do glass but you know knowing how this stuff goes together 
I never thought about or even knew about floor closers and concealed overhead stuff. You don't think about it. You see a piece, you see a door and it opens until you have to work on them or help work on that on stuff. You don't even think about it. You know, I would say having a background in carpentry would be helpful. We're not installing doors, but we get it fixed all the stuff when somebody else does it wrong or something wears out or breaks or the fire department kicks the door down, you know, being able to retrofit things. And let me, let me ask you this, Tyler, when was your moment starting out in your career that you said, okay, I don't know jack shit about what I'm doing. The day one, that was the first time I ever touched a drill. And then on that day, I also drilled uh, a door contact for an access control system on the wrong side of the frame. I put it on, uh, let's see, is that the rabbit or the soffit? But anywho, it was on the wrong side. Yeah, I, I had never used a, a drill before in my life. I had built stuff like Ikea furniture for my mom to get money to buy CDs when I was 14, 15, 16. But I, I dude, I had no technical expertise, hand skills, whatever. But I, like we said earlier... If you got the drive, you'll learn it real quick. And now I'm pretty damn good at everything. Yeah, I started at ground zero. That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, it's, it's really cool to be able to work with somebody who has the knowledge and experience to be able to say, you know, yes, we can do this to this door. Or no, we can't do that to that door. The other day when I was on a job with my boss and we were doing access control install, I had to go out to the truck to get a part or tool or something that we needed came back in through the front main door is like a little medical office. We're in the lobby is a very small lobby. The front door closed behind me without even looking at each other. My boss and I both said at the exact same time, the exact same words, we need to adjust that door closer. And we both busted out laughing. That's something that you develop as a locksmith It is and is not the cylinder is not the key. It's the entire opening, like Jeff said. Last thoughts, Jeff? Don't be afraid to read the manual first and you know triple check everything and reach out to manufacturers and tech support is there for a reason. Tyler? I think we've come full circle. We've done everything from the beginning of the locksport, how we got into it, what those who want to pursue the career, the trade can expect. Obviously, it's a lot more than just picking locks. I wish it was that easy, but it's far more than that. So, yeah, but you're pretty cylinder centric in in what you do. <laughs> yeah, but I still suck at it. But uh, yeah, so it, take it from three people that started picking locks, but this is what we're doing now. All right, folks. After the break, spare parts hosted by Tyler. So stay tuned. All right, here's my favorite part of this podcast, Spare Parts, where each of us have a chance to talk about one topic, not necessarily related to the industry or lock sport in this case. Tim. All right, so for my spare part, I would like to say that there was a cat in Long Island 
that belonged to the family. His name was Nally. In 2012, he escaped out the door. And despite his family's efforts, a year-long search for him, including posting posters throughout the neighborhood, they were unable to find him. In 2015, the family moved to Spain, along with their three other cats. Just three months ago, somebody in Long Island found their cat, Nally, and nursed her back to health and took her to animal services where they scanned for a microchip. The microchip revealed the family's name and information and animal services contacted them in Spain. The family plans on going to Long Island after the first of the year to reunite with Nally. So that is such a great story. I don't know what I would ever do if one of my cats got loose and got lost. That's my spare part. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah, my dogs always have microchips, so I call them cyborgs. But yeah, what that can do. Uh, My spare part, shit, I don't know. I I went to double A affiliate, I guess you could call it, of hockey last night. Had a Thrasher's night, which was our NHL team in Atlanta up until 2011. And the NHL let them reuse the logo and names and all of that. And it was it was awesome as shit, man. It was like being a kid again. So I'm on cloud nine right now. So that that's my spare part. Well, I guess my spare part is that my dad had shoulder surgery, but you guys already know. He does not have any spare parts in stuff. <laughs> <laughs> a speedy recovery to him. Or it was all arthroscopic repair jobs. Yeah, well, I hope he uh, gets better. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to us today. We enjoy making this show for you as much as you enjoy listening. Uh, just judging by the metrics, we didn't promote this at all last week, but we've already got a few hundred views and downloads between all the podcast apps and YouTube. Uh, so we appreciate that and we'll refine this and it'll get better and better as we go. I am your executive producer, Tyler J. Thomas. Technical editor is Jeff Moss. Editor and writer, Tim Coleman. Handsome Tim Coleman. Public relations specialist is Lotta B.S. Our bolt tightener is Tilda Plier Slips. And our chief legal counsel is Huey Lewis Dewey of Dewey Cheatham and How, otherwise known as Huey Lewis and do it. Till next time, guys. Thank you. Keep your stick on the ice. Stay out of trouble.